Let us pray together. Almighty and gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends upon the true understanding of your holy word, grant that our hearts, freed from the worldly affairs, may hear and understand your gospel with all diligence and faith, so that we might rightly discern your gracious will, that we might cherish it and live by it to the praise and the honor of Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask this in his name. Amen. An obedient life. After two months of being in the book of Ephesians, as Paul has laid out to the church in Ephesus the foundations of the gospel, he has come to what is commonly called the household code from Ephesians 5.22 all the way through 6.9. Today we come to the second most basic relationship of the home. Two weeks ago, we looked at the gospel-shaped marriages. And if you want to know more about what a gospel-shaped marriage looks like, I ask you go back and listen to those sermons. For Paul addresses the most basic relationship of all of humanity, the marriage between a husband and a wife. Today, he comes to the second most basic relationship for all humanity, children and parents. And as I realized late Friday, I'm actually not going to get to the second half of this passage. I'm just going to look at what a gospel-shaped family looks like in obedience to Christ. For Paul is addressing both children and parents. Because this is where the gospel of Jesus goes. It goes into our brokenness. It goes where we want to have good life, but we can't just find it on our own. Because the gospel goes and gives us what we cannot give ourselves, and it's Jesus. And so Paul here gives us a picture of what an obedient life looks like. He, and he gives it in three ways. He gives us what obedient life looks like for children, for parents, and for churches. And so firstly, I want us to look like at what obedient life is for children. Children, yes, Paul addresses you, and I find it ironic that most of our children are at CPYC this weekend, so you might just want to refer them to this sermon. But children, you might actually say, you know, this is the first time that Paul is actually addressing me. Well, yes, he is addressing all children, but also no. Paul has thought and assumed that all of the children have listened to everything he has said throughout this entire book. Yes, children, he has given you a direct command here. Obey your parents. And we're going to look more at, hey, Luke, you better be looking at me and you better be taking notes. <laughs> Sorry, that's the privileges of a pastor and a father. Whew, wasn't ready for that. But children... This entire book is for you. Everything that Paul has commanded all the church, he's commanding you to be imitators of him, to be submissive to one another in reverence for Christ. 
to walk according to the call to which you've been called, to put on your new self in the likeness of Christ, to not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Throughout this entire book, Paul has been speaking to children just as he's been speaking to me, just as he's been speaking to your parents. And yes, God is commanding you, boys and girls, obey your parents. Now notice, he's addressing children as complete members of the covenant community. He assumes that these children are being obedient. And yet he gives them motivation and points them to what enables them to be obedient. God is commanding children to obey both parents, mothers and fathers. My question for you children is, how much do you like to obey? How much do you like rules? How much do you like submitting to your parents? Because if you want to be obedient to your children, you must submit. You see, not only has Paul been addressing you this entire book, but he assumes that God is working in your life and that you've seen your need for Jesus. And so my question for you children, if you say you believe in Jesus, do you obey your parents? How many of you children have received a toy for Christmas or for a birthday, and you needed to assemble it? It needed to be put together. And there's a few different ways you can put it together. You can just go willy-nilly and say, you know what, I'm just going to try to figure this out together. And as a father, we've received many different Lego sets. And I promise you, if you just try to take all the pieces out and make whatever you want, it won't look like it's supposed to look like. In order for that Lego set, that thing that needs to be put together, to be properly put together, you need instruction. You need to go step by step because you might get through half of it and realize you've got to go back because you missed a, a crucial piece. Children, this is your instruction manual of how to be a faithful believer in Jesus. Obey your parents. Obeying means to follow their instruction, to be subjected to. And this you are to do in the Lord. And so oftentimes we hear these rules, we hear these commandments, and we think these are keeping us from being free. These are keeping us from being happy. But then we don't realize what the law of God actually does for us. Because what God's law actually does for us is it leads us to life. It actually leads us to freedom. Here Paul is telling you, you must honor your father and mother, just as all the people of Israel were commanded to do on Mount Sinai. He's saying you must obey your parents, and when you obey your parents, you're actually obeying Jesus. As I said a few weeks ago, when a husband loves his wife, and when a wife submits to her husband, she's, they're getting two for the price of one. So too, children, when you obey your parents, you are getting two for the price of one. You are also obeying the commands of Jesus. 
And the way that you obey actually reveals your hope in Jesus. Let me put this in another way. Children, if you say you love Jesus, show me by obeying your parents. When you obey, you reveal your love for Jesus. When you obey your parents, you are walking according to the call to which you've been called. When you obey, you reveal that you believe. Children, this might seem like a lot. It's really hard to obey all the time. And Melissa Kruger says in an article that she wrote, Obedience should be immediate. Obedience should be complete. Obedience should be with, joy, with a joyful attitude. For Jesus never lowers the standard of what we are supposed to do. He didn't take one iota of the law. He made it heavy. He made it hard. And what the law, these commands should do, it should make you realize, I cannot do this without Jesus. Because what did Jesus do? He came and fulfilled the law on your behalf. As Luke tells us in the second chapter of his gospel, Jesus, God himself came, and he did what? He was submissive to his parents. This commandment, obey your parents, should be one of the most difficult things any child is asked to do. But in the promise of the gospel, God gives his children the very thing that they need to complete it. He gives them Jesus. Children, this is how you should posture yourself in gospel obedience. You shouldn't see this command of obedience as not giving life, but as life-giving. You have been called to obey your parents and to be faithful to the Lord. God is calling you to holiness. You can be made holy by obeying your parents. As John Calvin says, to be holy, we first are to cling to Jesus. And then having received his holiness, we follow wherever he calls us. Children, Jesus is calling you to obey. And you can only obey if you follow Jesus. Now I understand not all children have good parents. They don't have good fathers. They might not have good mothers. And we should never believe that we are to obey if it leads us to cause for us to go into sin. But yet, Jesus meets all of us in our deepest and even in the most broken relationships that any of us can face. And he gives us hope. And he gives us life. And he calls us to joy and to follow him wherever he leads us. This is an obedient life for children. And then Paul shifts focus and he addresses the parents. And he tells us what obedient life as parents look like. And this is what he says in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children 
to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, how many of you are wanting a little bit more? I mean, out of all of this instruction, parents get one verse. The parenting industry estimates to, to make $266 billion a year from books and apps and all the blogs of do this and don't do this. We can feel completely overwhelmed by ourselves. We can ser- search after any self-help that we want to, and yet Paul only gives us one verse. Modern debates about the best way to raise our kids are nothing new. In the West, books about child rearing have, been, have come for hundreds of years. In the late 15th century, John Locke, the English philosopher, published a book on childbearing and child rearing. The following century, the Genevan philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau also wrote a book. The English verb to parent has been used since the 1660s, around the same time that John Wilmot famously wrote, Before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and I have no theories. (laughs) And yet Paul here addresses parents. He first addresses fathers. And as he did in in chapter 5, verse 23, he assumes that the father is the head of the household. And so he commands fathers, Do not provoke your children. The NIV translates that as, do not exacerbate your children. And in the same way he uses this word in chapter 4, verse 26, when he said, do not let the sun go down on your anger, Paul is probably concerned with bitterness and resentment that results from anger left to fester. Fathers, you have extraordinary power in your home. God wants to touch that power with the gospel of Jesus. I often hear, I've, I, often, I've heard it said that so often fa- fathers, we act like thermometers in our house. If it's hot, we get hot. If it's cold, we get cold. Rather than acting as thermostats. The ones who lead our families the one who sets the temperature for the house. How good are we at God's given gift as heads of our families? Do we treat our children as subhuman, as though they don't deserve dignity and respect? Do we treat them as image bearers, or do we treat them closer to slaves and servants? Do we make promises to them and know that we don't actually have to fulfill those promises because they have no clout? I know I do that. They don't have bargaining chips. They have nothing to offer. And so it's so easy to just say no. Fathers, what so often happens when we provoke our children is that we ask for them to seek perfection by what they do, but we miss their hearts. We expect them to have good behavior and to be submissive to our very command, 
but we don't expect them to actually love Jesus. We expect from them heartless deeds. We just want them to act proper. And to my own shame, most often, I just want them to look like they obey me (laughs) because I'm so afraid that I might be made a fool. So often I want them to obey me because of how it reflects on me rather than cherishing their hearts and hoping that they love Jesus. Fathers, if you want to provoke your children, never delight in them. Never cherish them. Never teach them the word of God. If you want to provoke your children, fill them with guilt and with shame because they will never live up to your standards. When your children are disobedient, do you know what God did to his child? When Adam disobeyed, he came and he gave discipline. But he also showered him with grace. He handed out proper discipline, but he also promised him everlasting grace in Christ. This is what a spirit-filled parent looks like. We don't take away the law. We don't take away, you shall not obey us. But we shower love and grace. Because you you know what I hear when I hear this? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I ask myself, is that how I obey Jesus? Do I obey Jesus immediately? Do I obey Jesus with joy? Do I obey Jesus in everything that I do? You see, both sides need the grace of Jesus. Because you cannot fulfill this command completely. This should feel burdensome to you. And it should cause you to run to Jesus. I challenge you fathers, if you, if you think that it's easy, if you think that it's easy to raise your children in the Lord, read through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, hear my son, your father's instruction. Proverbs 2, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands. Proverbs 3, my son, do not forget my teaching. Proverbs 5, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Proverbs 6, my son, keep your father's commandments. Proverbs 7, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments in your heart. It is a lifelong practice and posture of the gospel. They're not going to get it the first time. They're not going to get it the seventh time. They need Jesus, just like you need Jesus. And this is for both parents. And here's what's so interesting. We see here that Paul only gives us one line for how we should parent. But I actually think that's wrong. Because you know what's the best gift we can give our children? Go 
Go back to chapter 5. Husbands that love their wives and wives that submit to their husbands. That is the best gift as parents that we can give our children. To love one another with gospel love. To show forgiveness. To admit when we're wrong. To show true repentance. To show that we don't have it all together. That we need Jesus. This is how the gospel goes into the crevices of our lives and brings life. Because if we try it on our own, we're just going to lead ourselves to more despair, to more sorrow, and eventually to a lonely death. But what we find in Jesus is hope. What we find in Jesus is resurrection life. What we find in Jesus is eternal grace. So we've seen obedient life as children, we've seen an obedient life as parents, and now let us look at what obedient life as the church is. And I say this because in this context, Paul is addressing children as if they are sitting in the congregation of the church. He's instructing parents within the church. Guess what that should teach us? Parents, we need each other. You're not supposed to have everything right. We are supposed to pray for one another. We're supposed to bounce ideas about what worked and what didn't work with each other. We need wisdom to each other. We aren't supposed to just go home and figure it out by ourselves. We, as a community of God's new messianic people, as new creations in Christ, are to help each other parent our children. This is what a covenant family looks like. This is why when we baptize our children, I ask the church to take a vow. Members of Christ Presbyterian Church, do you promise as a congregation to undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture, discipline, and discipleship of their child before God this morning? And then I ask you, if you do, please say, we will. We need each other as a community to remind each other because there will be the day that we might say, I've lost all hope in this child. I'm pretty sure every parent in this room has said that at some point about every child they have. We need each other to remind us of the grace and the hope of God's faithfulness to us. What we also see is in this early church, it was a common practice for all the children to be in the midst of God's people as the scriptures were read. This is why we ask our children to be in the service with us. Because we want to rear them in the word of the Lord. This isn't a private club. It isn't just a group of men that Paul's speaking to and saying, hey, go teach this to your wives. Go teach this to your children. Go teach this to your servants. No, he is addressing all of God's covenant people together. And he is instructing them, this is what the people of God should look like. If you want to bring your children, even your young children, into worship, please do that so that they 
can be blessed by the word of God. Now, we do offer Teach Me to Worship, which is for pre-K through second grade. And you saw me, I, I dismissed some of our children so that they could go to Teach Me to Worship. Do you know what they do in Teach Me to Worship? We teach our children what we're doing throughout our entire liturgy. We teach them what we're doing for an entire month in the call to worship. We teach them for an entire month why we take up tithes and offerings. We teach them for an entire month why we read and confess, why we read the word and confess our faith. We teach them why we partake of the sacraments, why we pronounce at the end of every service a benediction. We are hoping that they become good covenant members within our body because we are all active worshipers. This, we're, we're not in a movie theater. You aren't here just to receive something and then leave. We are here as active worshipers when we hear the gospel, when we reenact our covenant faithfulness to Jesus every single week. We offer these classes so that they might be better worshipers, but what we really want is for families to worship together, for families to be transformed from the oldest to the youngest, by the gospel of Jesus. For families to pray together. For families to read the word together. For families to memorize the catechism and the confession together. For families to live out the call to which they've been called. God has ordained the parents in this room to be parents of your children. They might be a small distraction in here. But more than likely, they're probably just going to be a distraction to you. And if they are a distraction to others, guess what? That child is the child of God and deserves all of God's blessings. If you want to take them in the designated areas that we offer, please do so. But make sure that we are bringing our children up in the admonition and the discipline of the church. Making disciples of our children is our most intimate calling to guide them how they can follow Jesus in every minute of their life so that one day they might be leaders of a church, hopefully of this church for generation and generation to come. Consider volunteering and helping this church disciple the children. And I make this not because Blake's not here, but Blake is with our, um, our high school or with our youth group at CPYC. I think there's 24 or 25 students and we have four adults. This past Wednesday, we had 67 high schoolers and middle schoolers in our youth room, and we had two adults. We need your help. We need your help as the family of God to raise our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is what we've been called to, to point our children to Jesus and to remind our children how we need Jesus. This is what an obedient, gospel-shaped family looks like. This is what the church is here for, 
to remind ourselves of our need for Jesus, that we are completely and utterly dependent upon Jesus. And if this doesn't describe your family, it's not too late to start. To confess your sins to your children. To point your children to Jesus. Because that is where we find rest. That is where we find joy. That is where we find hope in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, bless us as your people. Father, bless our children. May they never know a day of their entire lives where they don't know you as their king and their master. May they never know a day where they don't know that they were created in your image and that you are recreating them in Christ. Father, help them to obey. And Father, help us parents to love them unconditionally. To shower grace upon them while at the same time showing them the discipline of the Lord. That you have called us to holiness. That you have called us to reflect Christ in all that we do to show them how to bear their cross and to follow after Jesus. Father, help us, for we are your needy children. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. If you're able